Welcome to the Lark Blogcast, a written exploration of God's scandalous grace. Read aloud for those who don't have time or don't like to read, so you can listen and be encouraged as you go. I'm your host, Jameson Allen. Today, I'm reading part two of a four-part series called What Must I Do? And this is a series of articles observing how scripture answers the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Apparent common knowledge assumes the obvious answer is improvement or something like that. Um, But the biblical authors provide answers that really throw a heavy-duty wrench into the spokes of that idea. So without further ado, here is part two. Absolutely, unconditionally free eternal life. A similar question to what we observed in part one comes up in John chapter six. Quote, what must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. End quote. John 6, 28 through 29, NRSV. It's not unclear here, not to mention throughout the rest of John 6, that the one thing we are being invited to do is to believe in Jesus, to trust that he is who he says he is, and that he will do what he said he will do. The only actual doing left for you and me to do in John's gospel is really the antithesis of doing, faith and trust. Quote, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. End quote. John 6.57, NRSV. As disturbing as it may sound, the call to eat Jesus harkens back to the manna God rained down from heaven, so the Israelites wandering in the desert could be filled. Don't forget the instruction not to gather manna for tomorrow. Just exactly how much doing did Israel do in order to get the manna to fall from heaven? None. This is the point Jesus is making. He is, himself, the solution to all evil and brokenness. He is salvation for every person everywhere, and there is no way to get him or to acquire his benefits. There is only believing in him. There is only trust and faith for what's done is done. Quote, it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. End quote. John 6, 63 NRSV. The flesh is useless. The answer to our question, again, is so clear here. The eternal life we are looking to get a hold of cannot be obtained by us. It is already given. And something that is given isn't made what it is by the recipient. Surprised to inherit eternal life. To continue tracing this theme, we need to look now at the book of Acts. After the Pentecost sermon, the hearers were cut to the heart and approached Peter and the disciples saying, quote, Brothers, what should we do? End quote. There's that question again, like a knee-jerk reflex. Peter said to them, Quote, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. End quote. Acts 2.37-38, NRSV. In response to hearing about the life, resurrection, and promise of Jesus, they asked, What should we do? 
And Peter's response was, repent and be baptized. Change your mind. Turn around from your self-referential ways and be immersed into the life and gift that is Jesus, God with us. Oh, and by the way, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, leave it all to Jesus and forget about everything you thought you knew about getting right with God. For the presence of His Spirit is hereby offered to you and everyone around you without restraint. Joel 2, 28-29 This Jesus is not like the gods ancient and present, near and far. He's wholly unique in that all requirements for life in Him are covered always and only from the side of God. Quote, so those who welcomed his message were baptized. End quote. Acts 2.41 There is no requirement to give away all possessions like the rich young ruler or to commit to paying two years wages for a dying man's medical bills as seen in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Those who were baptized were those who welcomed Peter's message. Eternal life is a gift, not a reward. Later, when Paul unpacks the good news in a synagogue in Pisidia, he ties the bow on his talk by saying, quote, Let it be known to you, therefore, my brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. By this Jesus, everyone who believes is set free from all those sins from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. End quote. Acts 13.38-39, NRSV. The law of Moses and all that goes with it could not free anyone. Paul is not confused or confusing about that. He is pointing instead to a man God resurrected while everyone else is looking for right patterns of life and behavior to get on God's good side and to fix the world. There's a universe of difference between forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you and there's still something you must do in order to qualify for the forgiveness of your sins. The forgiving of sins is already done. There are no unforgiven sins, now or ever. Think about that. None. To begin with, through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. By this Jesus, everyone who believes is set free, is to loosen the chains and bondage of the law, the belief that forgiveness is caused by the sinner. It is to repeat the indescribable absurdity of the gospel. It has never been about what you do for God or what you bring to the table. Eternal life is not caused by belief. Everyone who believes is set free. Everyone. And they are not given a new ultimatum where they might lose what cannot be undone. To assume they can lose it is to assume that they had a hand in gaining it. If your virtue didn't get you saved, how exactly can it get you unsaved? Belief isn't what sets you free, what causes your freedom, what wins you righteousness. These things have been made true about you in Jesus once and for all. Belief sets you free only in the sense that the freedom that is already yours is finally free in you. Setting freedom free is the mission of the Spirit, the will of the Father, 
and the delight of Jesus. Based on what happens to each and every character throughout the entire scripture, no one is ever freed from the propensity to sin. They continue to sin. But in Jesus, everyone is freed from the just consequences of sin. All are freed from the condemnation they rightly deserved. Sin's power to condemn has been eliminated. After being jailed in Philippi, Paul and Silas were singing hymns and praying when an earthquake shook the ground and freed them from their shackles. Before the jailer could kill himself to escape the punishment for losing prisoners, Paul intervened to show they had not escaped. The jailer fell down trembling before Paul and Silas and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Acts 16.30-31 NRSV Believe in Jesus, and you will be saved. That is that. The saving is already completely done. Trust not in what you do to get yourself closer to the holy presence of God. Trust instead only in what God has done to bring His holy presence to you. Believe it. Forget about trying to earn or keep it, and forget about the possibility of squandering the gift only to have it taken away. When the eternal God offers you Himself as the solution to your impossible dilemma, all you can do is believe and enjoy, or refuse and reject Him. It's always an invitation, never a threat or a transaction. It's the best news anyone will ever hear. Paul agrees with Jesus that with man, it is impossible to inherit eternal life. Hey, thanks for listening to the Lark Blogcast. Leave us a review and subscribe for more encouraging content on the regular. If you'd like to dive deeper into the conversation about God's scandalous grace, reach out to us at larksite.com. We'd love to hear your story and your questions. Cheers. Cheers.